Mysterious-ish. Contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. America. Thanks for having me today. Welcome to, uh. <laughs> to my my basement. Which doesn't sound creepy at all. <laughs> okay. Um we're just gonna we're just gonna do this. Okay. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you uh I love you. I love um, you. Um please don't leave the podcast. <laughs> I promise I will eventually do a not-so-dark case. Okay, I'm ready. <clears throat> Wait. What? Mood lighting? Fuck. Oh, yeah. Pause. Time out. Now we can start the the deep dark. Start the, the jazz music mm-hmm. to play under this super dark case. This one? Okay, let's just, here, let's just do it. Yeah, let's just jump in. Let's just do it. Okay. This case is one that has always fascinated and angered me tremendously for many reasons. As a warning, this episode will mention rape. I will warn you before I get to that part, but it is going to be quite frequent. Sorry. Here we go. Sorry. (laughs) I'm from Canada, eh? Right? (laughs) So... Michelle Knight was born on April 23rd, 1981, and she grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, She didn't have a super great childhood. Her less than average height, she was literally four foot seven, so she's like barely less than average. Um, But that led to her being super bullied in school. Um, She had a shitty home life. Her family was very poor. Um, In an interview with 2020, she said, quote, We didn't have a couch to sit on. We didn't have a stove. Just to give a hot, warm meal, I had to cook on a space heater. It takes four hours for a hot dog to cook. A single hot dog. No. Michelle said that she eventually decided that she'd be better off on her own, and so she began living on the streets at 14. Um, Yeah, she literally, like, slept under underpasses and in cardboard boxes and trash cans, like... This poor girl. This poor girl. And she doesn't really catch a break for a while. Um, So Michelle became pregnant at 17 and was forced to drop out of school to care for her child. Um, I did find a couple accounts of how Michelle became pregnant, but I just want to set the record straight that Michelle has said that it was with a boyfriend that she actually liked. But there are sources out there that says that she was... um, trigger warning sexually assaulted by a couple of boys at school but she has said that it was she conceived through consensual sex with a boyfriend and when this little boy came she named him joey joey and joey was the light of her life the apple of her eye her pride and joy she loved joey loved joey but the home environment that michelle lived in was not great for joey or michelle 
Michelle's mom would often fight with her boyfriend, um, and there was actually an incident where Joey ended up with a broken knee. Um, Because of this injury, Joey was taken out of Michelle's care and put in foster care. Michelle was taking all the actions necessary to get Joey back in her custody, including going to all of the court hearings. She wanted nothing more than to get Joey back in her life. Um, On August 23rd, 2002, Michelle was on her way to the courthouse for another custody hearing regarding Joey. She was walking and got lost along the way, so she stopped in a convenience store and asked for directions. Uh, Of this moment, she said, quote, I was trying so desperately to get a hold of them. I I tried to call them on a payphone. It didn't work. So I felt like there was no way I'm gonna, I was going to make it in time. And then she bumped into a familiar face. It's Persephone. Okay. <clears throat> She's throwing My... around that little food dispensing toy. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait. My ear shit is, like, so bad. It honestly, like, what it sounds like to me is it's coming from that next room. No. And I was like... Do you, are you not bothered by that? <laughs> no, because I know that it's it's my physical demon that lives upstairs, not the like fake, not the fake demon, fake spiritual demons down here. Yeah. <laughs> so and then she Michelle bumped into a familiar face. It was the father of one of her friends. He told her he knew where she was going and that he could take her there. So this gave her hope, uh, hope that she was going to make it to the custody hearing and potentially get her son back. She had. No idea what the next 11 years would have in store for her. The man that she trusted to take her to the custody hearing was Ariel Castro. Uh, Castro took Michelle back to his house. Um, He told Michelle that he was going to pick up his own daughter and that he had puppies. He even told Michelle that she could have a puppy to give to Joey. However, there were no puppies and Castro's daughter did not live with him. Upon arrival at Castro's house, he told Michelle that she would not be leaving for a long time and that she would never see her son again. He ripped up the only picture she had of Joey. Michelle's family reported her missing, but eventually believed that she had run away due to losing custody of Joey. She was removed from the FBI's missing persons database just 15 months after she went missing. She was also 21 at the time of when she went missing, so people really just believed, like, oh, she just, you know, got a shitty hand dealt to her, and so she's just gone. Right. When Michelle and Castro arrived at Castro's house, um, he took Michelle down to the basement and tied her up with heavy chains wrapped around her torso all the way up to her neck. He then put a motorcycle helmet over her head to make sure she stayed quiet. Um, Michelle says that she remembers not being able to breathe and going in and out of consciousness because of this, because she's literally like has these heavy ass chains wrapped around her so she can't, you know, she can't move. And then she's got this fucking helmet over her head so she can't breathe. She's just like breathing in all of the carbon monoxide that she's expelling because there's no, he like literally has the chains up to the helmet. So there's no like open anything for her to, it's just horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. Michelle's account of the next eight months consists of being held captive in an upstairs bedroom of Castro's house. This is just so horrible. She was tied up using an extension cord around her arms, legs, and neck. He put a dirty sock in her mouth 
and played loud music to muffle her screams. That's a whole lot of fucked up. Yeah. It gets worse. At one point, she said that she was hogtied, like her wrists to her ankles, and she was suspended from a wire running across the room, like face down, a foot above the ground, just hanging there by the by her her restraints, just hanging there. Um, so Castro was pissed when he found out that Michelle was 21 years old. He thought she was younger because she was so small. He wanted someone younger. Ew. Um, now I didn't even write anything about Castro because this isn't about him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, so I don't have anything about his backstory because he's a piece of actual garbage and I don't care. What he went through, because nothing, nothing justifies what he does. So, fuck you. He was, like, probably pretty old, though. Like, early 40s, maybe late 40s. He was in his 40s, maybe 50s. I don't know. Fuck him. So, this gets a massive trigger warning for rape and loss of pregnancy. Michelle recalls that Castro would rape her multiple times a day, and... This resulted in her becoming pregnant five times, though she was never able to give birth. Uh, Castro would brutally beat her until I, I wrote until she miscarried, but that's not even right because she didn't miscarry. She had five babies beaten out of her five times. He would hit her with any number of objects, including dumbbells. Um, He would punch her, slam her against walls, push her down the stairs. He would starve her. And then he blamed and beat her for, quote, aborting his child. So uh, that's the end of that one for now. But uh, from one trigger warning right into a different one. I I honestly uh, didn't want to share this information because it is horrible and it made me sob and I'm probably going to cry again. But I think it's important to further show how much of a fucking monster um, Ariel Castro is. So this is this is an animal thing, specifically dogs. Um, okay. I know. I know. If this isn't okay. your jam, I'm sorry. I don't fucking blame you. Skip forward about 30 seconds, except Erica. Erica just has to listen. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, as she's cuddling my dog right now. So, um, Castro got Michelle a puppy one time, a pit bull puppy, and she loved this puppy. He was the only happy thing in her time in captivity. Um, she would talk to this puppy and tell him, you know, we're going to get out of this together and we're going to go and be happy and we're going to get Joey and you're going to be Joey's puppy and it's whatever. So, um, one night Castro came into Michelle's room to rape her and the dog bit him trying to protect Michelle. Uh, In retaliation, Castro snapped the dog's neck, killing him. And that was my breaking point. That right there, I had, I like had started my research and I had to stop doing my research because I just started crying. Because I can't. I can't. So, even though this monster had one girl captive, uh, this was not enough for him. Amanda Marie Berry was born on April 22nd, 1986. 
on April 21st, 2003, the day before her 17th birthday, Amanda Berry was leaving her job at Burger King. As she was walking, a familiar man, a bus driver, an elementary school bus driver, and the father of one of her classmates stopped her and offered her a ride home. Around 8 p.m., she called her sister to let her know that she had gotten a ride home, Um, but she did not make it home that night. Ariel Castro was the familiar man. He took Amanda back to his house and did the same thing he did with Michelle. Castro told Amanda that his daughter was at his house and asked if she wanted to see, see her. I wrote see him, but see her, see his daughter. To which Amanda said, sure. When they arrived, Castro said that his daughter was likely taking a bath and then began showing Amanda around the house. Mind you, his house is not clean. It's nothing fancy. It's like not clean is putting it nicely. It is filthy, like disgusting, like fast food wrappers all over the place, dirty like clothes and dirty dishes. It's disgusting, like straight up just fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> he began showing Amanda around the house. And when they went upstairs, Amanda saw a woman in, in a bedroom in front of a TV. Uh, she did not see the chains. Uh And this woman was Michelle Knight. So Castro then took Amanda into another very dark room and he told her to take her pants off. She was later taken to the basement and had her wrists and ankles taped. Um, He also put a helmet over her head and told her to be quiet and she could go home. Four days later, she was moved upstairs and chained to a radiator. So now Ariel Castro has two girls held captive a 22-year-old, and a 17-year-old. Amanda's family reported her missing pretty much immediately, and the investigators labeled her a runaway, of course, which is just fucking stupid because just because it's a teenager or, like, a young adult doesn't mean that they're a runaway. Can we not? Can we just, even if they are runaways, they still need to be brought home. Like, can we Mm -hmm. just investigate? Can we just bring them home, please? Like, no one's going to fault you for being too much you know what i mean Mm -hmm. just fucking do it thanks for coming to my ted talk (laughs) so a week after amanda's disappearance this is really fucked up uh amanda's mom got a phone call from amanda's phone um it was a man who told her that amanda was with him and that she wanted to be with him and that she was safe and would be making a visit to home in a few days They tried to trace the phone call, and they were able to narrow it down to about two blocks away from where Amanda was, but the phone was never used again, so it led to nothing. So he's just literally just torturing. He's like, be quiet and you can go home, and then he calls her family and is like, oh, she'll be home. Right. That's not what happened. Not even a year later, Castro was back at it again. Georgina or Gina Lynn DeJesus was born on February 13th, 1990. And on April 2nd, 2004, Gina and a friend, Arlene Castro, called Arlene's mother to ask if Arlene could sleep over at Gina's house. When her mom said no, the two girls parted ways. Mm -hmm, Erica's giving me a look. Similar to Amanda and Michelle, Gina was approached by a familiar man. 
a man even more familiar to her than Amanda or Michelle. This was Ariel Castro, Arlene's father. The daughter makes an appearance. Mm. Yes, but it's a different daughter because the daughter that Amanda and Michelle knew was Emily. And this is Arlene. He has multiple daughters and a couple sons, too. And he's using them as ploys to, you know, kidnap other girls. So it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Ooh, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> so not only was was Ariel Castro um, Gina's friend's dad, but he was, Castro was also Gina's dad's friend. <gasps> so there are multiple ties. So Gina assumed that Castro was gonna take her home he did not uh castro took gina back to his house and this is just so gross she said that he began fixing his eyebrows trimming his mustache cutting his nose hairs you know like making himself look presentable to this fucking 14 year old girl like sir can you fucking not Mm -hmm. gina told abc news quote he's like start like to like this is a direct quote he like starts like to like touch me and stuff and then i'm like what are you doing you could go to jail he just switches up like we're going to you're going to go home now he said but you can't go through the same door you came in so he took her to his basement and tried to tie her up but didn't get the chains tight enough so gina broke free Ooh, she fought him but he overpowered her And she screamed, but the radios in the basement and the living room were too loud for anyone to hear her. So at this point, Castro is holding captive a 23-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 14-year-old, all of whom he knew in one way or another. Mm -hmm. He was taking advantage of these girls' trust and their vulnerability. It's disgusting. It's just the most disgusting thing. And like I said, he's literally using his daughters as ploys to take these girls hostage. This guy is a fucking monster. Like, the scum of the earth. I just, what the fuck? So, as far as the investigation into the disappearances of these three girls goes, Michelle was not being searched for. She, her family, like, was like, oh, she ran away because she lost custody of Joey. Mm -hmm. And so they just stopped looking for her. Right. Remember that Michelle's family was, like, not great. Mm -hmm. And so, whatever. She wasn't being searched for, and it's fucking stupid. Um, She was technically an adult when she was abducted, so no missing persons report was ever filed. Not really. Like, they, they said, oh, she's, like, gone. She's dis- she disappeared, but everyone just assumed she was a runaway. So they took her off the missing persons thing database. Right, yeah. Thing. Mm-hmm. So no one was looking for her, which is just, like, completely fucking heartbreaking. Amanda, where did it go? My notes. <laughs> Hello? Hello? <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, there it is. Okay. Amanda and Gina's disappearances were suspected to be linked because they were um, witnesses said based. They described the same man. Mm -hmm. So um, and they were taken from like similar areas. 
So they just kind of linked them. Mm-hmm. And Amanda and Gina were featured on many TV shows and news cycles. Um, they were featured on America's Most Wanted in 2004, and then it was repeated again in 2005 and 2006. And the Oprah Winfrey Show. Uh, and the Montel Williams Show brought Amanda's mother and a self-proclaimed psychic, Sylvia Brown, on the show. Here, Sylvia Brown told Amanda's mom that Amanda was dead and, quote, in water. Amanda was, in fact, not dead, nor in water. So, I'm going to get a little opinionated here. A little opinionated. If you are a self-proclaimed psychic or even a real psychic, leave the families alone. I'm just putting it out there. Because, like, Amanda's mom was devastated. Devastated after she got that news. News, quote unquote news. It was fake. She was not. And Sylvia Brown wasn't even, like, considerate about the way she said it. She was like, I hate when they're in water. Like, ma'am, can you be a little more um, heartfelt about delivering this to a mother of a 17-year-old child who you are claiming to be dead? Like, can we just have a little bit of, like, humanity, please? Like, is that too much to ask? I fucking hate it here. Okay. So, Amanda and Gina's families held regular vigils for the girls. Um, you know what a vigil is? No. <laughs> it's like the thing. Oh, they held one in you. In the show, you. They held a lot of things in you. Okay, well. <laughs> it was a, uh, it's like, I, I was just going to say, it's a vigil. <laughs> you know, a vigil. It's a vigil, Erica. Oh, a vigil. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. <laughs> it's like, so they'll bring like people of the community, like the family and the friends and the other people in the community together and they'll like light candles and like sing songs and tell that? stories. Yeah. What season? Um, It was on a beach. <laughs> on a beach i think it was season three they were on a beach was it <clears throat> they were on a beach and you my little dumb maybe not maybe it wasn't you listen there's a show that they held a vigil for someone okay because i really i really don't know but they'll like tell stories it's basically like a funeral without being a funeral Oh, okay, like uh, like a so, celebration of life. Yeah, kinda? like a little like a little service thing where people just get together and like, and it's usually to like raise awareness of the person that's missing or has died wrongfully or whatever you know. Okay, okay, they're nice. Okay, I'm, you know what? I know what you're talking about now. I know what you're saying. I'm just gonna give it a quick googs. Was there a vigil? <laughs> vigil, <in> vigil, you. <laughs> You know, I think I'm full of shit. Oh, okay. (laughs) Out here telling lies and shit. I'm kidding. Listen, there is a show. Listeners, get at me. Get at me. (laughs) If you you know what show I'm talking about, there was a vigil held on a beach and people were crying. And why did I just shut my phone off? I need my notes. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. Tell me if I'm crazy. I'm probably crazy. Anyways. So Amanda and Gina's families, they held vigils for the girls. Uh, And here's a quote from Wikipedia, because I won't get the same effect if I rephrase it. Quote, 
Castro attended at least two of these vigils, reportedly participated in a search party, and tried to get close to the DeJesus family. So he was already friends with Gina's dad, but now he's like slithering his little way in there and trying to get closer to everybody. They always participate in the search party. Always. You remember you season three? After, spoiler alert, after Love killed that one bitch in the back of the head with the axe, she, they, buried her in the woods and then participated in the search party. Sure did. So they always return to the scene of the crime. Yes. But they always help search in the search party. Yes. Classic true crime trope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen it in CS. CS. I don't watch CSI. Criminal Minds. I watch. I watch Criminal Minds. I need to watch Criminal Minds. I have never seen it. <laughs> I've seen scenes and like episodes, it. but I've never seen it other than through. What are we talking about? Oh yeah, yes. this fucking monster. <laughs> okay, so bah, 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 classic true crime trope. Wow, say that ten times fast. Classic true crime trope. Classic, classic true, true crime, crime trope. 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 <laughs> Anyways. Trope. We'll take all the levity we can get this episode. Okay, uh, these fucking narcissists, they just can't help themselves, you know? Mm. Okay, so while these girls' families are searching and yearning to have their daughters back, Michelle, Amanda, and Gina are having a terrible time. Duh. Terrible uh-huh. time. Um, they stay chained up for an extremely long time until they earned the trust of Castro. They had to sleep on old, dirty, nasty mattresses. Um, and they only had, like, a bucket to go to the bathroom in. Um, Amanda said that once a day she would get something small to eat, such as, like, a bag of chips or some crackers. Uh, I don't think the same applied to Michelle. I think she would get fed less frequently, but, um, especially when she was pregnant, she would get fed significantly less. In the beginning, though, he would go and get, like, when Michelle was still in the basement, he would go to McDonald's and get, like, a McMuffin or some shit and just bring it downstairs and shove it down Michelle's throat because she was, like, refusing to eat because she was pissed off and she was, like, scared and sad. And so he would just, like, shove this shit down her throat. And she, like, she said that she would get so sick from eating such horrible food, like, constantly. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So everything came with a price. Even basic needs were a privilege. Um, They were allowed to shower once a week, but they had to shower with Castro. Trigger warning. All of the girls were regularly raped and sexually assaulted. Amanda recalls writing down how many times a day he would rape her in in a journal. She would... Um, she asked him for a journal one day. He literally came up and was like, is there anything I can get you to make your time in captivity easier? And she was like, yeah, bitch, a fucking journal or a coloring book. Like, give me something to do. So he brought her back a journal and she, she, I think they all three at one point had journals, but Amanda kept the most detailed accounts of everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, this is so sad. Amanda would write letters to her mom every single day which just gets worse when i tell you how long they were held gina even remembers the exact date of the first time that castro raped her and he what a gentleman he waited like a month after he took her 
She wasn't even 15. Like, not even 15. I fu- fuck this guy. So, Amanda says that uh, at first, Castro made sure that the three girls never interacted. He kept them in separate rooms and separate rooms constantly and never allowed them to speak to each other. They were allowed out only to do chores and they had to follow strict rules when they were doing chores, such as they were only allowed a tiny amount of dish soap to wash a full sink of dishes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Girl, I go through half a fucking bottle. <laughs> Not really, but right. I go through a lot of dish soap. And I don't even let my, my dishes get that piled up. Like, come on. There was also a pan that had to be put perfectly in the center of the stove. Like, perfectly. That bitch could not be any to the left, any to the right, too far back. No, perfectly dead in the center of the stove where they would get beaten. Gina said that for a while she was Castro's favorite, which is disgusting. But she had the, the nicer room. And was seemingly treated better than Amanda and Michelle. Um, This obviously caused some animosity and jealousy between the girls. Amanda said, quote, it was just the simple things. But when you don't have anything, you're like, well, why don't I have that? I want that. Like, maybe her bed didn't have a stain on it. Or maybe she was allowed to shower twice a week. Or maybe she, you know, didn't get beaten as much. But like, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Michelle felt that Castro hated her the most out of the three girls because she always stuck up for herself. She never um, let him break her, and he really tried. She said about her five miscarriages, miscarriages, I use that word extremely loosely. She said, quote, he's the reason why I can't have children now, and that's the most suckiest feeling ever, but he couldn't break me. She also said that Castro would constantly rub it in her face that Amanda's, Amanda and Gina's families were looking for them very diligently, but no one was looking for her. So he's really just trying to psychologically just like fucking break her, mm-hmm. make her feel like absolute shit and just give in, give up, honestly. So I mentioned earlier that Amanda wrote in a journal. She um, had notebooks to write in, but she would also write on napkins and fast food bags just to like pass the time because what the fuck else are you gonna do mm-hmm. they did have a tv but it was so old that it was still in black and white so this uh gets pretty dark amanda said that she watched the episode of the montel williams show where sylvia brown told amanda's mom that she was dead Calm. Mm-hmm. she said that she just cried just like sobbed lost her fucking mind and then amanda's mom ended up passing away in march of 2006 she died of heart failure but everyone around her said that she died of a broken heart on uh, amanda's 20th birthday she realized that she was pregnant she said quote i was terrified how i mean i barely eat and i'm chained to the wall and i have a bucket for a bathroom sure enough amanda was pregnant now you might be thinking well, Amanda, or well, Michelle was brutally beaten every time she was pregnant. He's definitely going to do the same to Amanda. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Amanda carried this baby to term and gave birth to a little baby girl on Christmas Day, 2006. Michelle was ordered by Castro to deliver Amanda's baby. Um, he threatened to kill her if the baby did not survive. 
And there was a point where the baby stopped breathing, but Michelle was able to resuscitate her. He went out and bought like a kiddie pool. And that's what she gave birth in because he didn't want the mess on the bed. On his nasty ass mattresses that he found on the side of the road on heavy trash day. Like, sir, take her. Well, he couldn't take her to a hospital because then he would get caught. So, like I said, this baby was a girl and Amanda named her Jocelyn. She said, quote, this is his kid, you know. How do I feel about that? And she resembled him a lot. And I would look at her and I just felt like she's mine. She's mine. Gina says that having Jocelyn around was a great distraction. While in captivity, Jocelyn taught her daughter to read and write. Jocelyn asked about the chains on Amanda, to which Castro told her they were bracelets. Because of Jocelyn, Amanda had her chains removed when Jocelyn was almost three years old. Jocelyn had more freedom than the three captive girls. She was locked in the house with Michelle, Amanda, and Gina when Castro would leave the house. But sometimes she would get to go out to the backyard or to the park or sometimes she would even get to go to church with him. Which the fact that this man goes to church is exactly why you can never trust a person solely because they go to church. Mm -hmm. Like just because they go to church every Sunday doesn't mean they're a good person. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. So Castro told one of his daughters that Jocelyn was his quote girlfriend's daughter. And this is even more sick because at one point, um, Castro would refer to Amanda as his wife. Like he literally referred to her to the other girls. And I don't, I don't know if he did to other people like outside of the house, but he literally called her his wife. Um, and he also told other people that Jocelyn was his granddaughter. Okay. We're getting some levity here. So now we're going to skip forward in time. Um, we are going to May 6th. 2013. Michelle Knight has been held hostage for 10 years, 8 months, and 13 days, or 3,909 days. Ooh, I'm gonna cry. Amanda Berry has been held hostage for 10 years and 15 days, or 3,668 days. Gina DeJesus has been held hostage for 9 years, 1 month, and 4 days. Or 3,321 days. On this day, May 6th, 2013, Jocelyn returns from downstairs and tells Amanda that she can't find her daddy. He isn't around. Amanda said, quote, My heart immediately started pounding. I'm like, should I chance it? If I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. She checked the door to the room that she had been held captive in for 3,668 days, and it was unlocked. Never before had it been unlocked. When he would leave, he would lock her, lock the girl's bedroom doors, and he would also lock the front door, lock the, the everything. Everything was always locked up. She ran, so Amanda ran downstairs and found the main front door was unlocked as well. But there was a large storm door, like a screen door, that was unlocked. Or that was locked, sorry. So her bedroom door is unlocked, the front door is unlocked, but the screen door on the front door is locked. Right. So terrified that this was another one of Castro's tests where he left one door intentionally unlocked to see if they would try to escape, Amanda shoved her arm through the crack in the door. She waved her arm around and screamed, praying that someone would come and help her. Um, A neighbor by the name of Charles Ramsey came to the rescue. We, we love Charles. Charles, you're a fucking hero. 
if you're out there listening, we love you, Charles. You're a fucking hero. So Amanda said that Ramsey kicks the door and tells Amanda to finish the job. So he's like, it's like one of those doors that has like the, like the glass pane. And then there's like a thinner, um, like thin metal pane on the bottom part mm. of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they're kicking that out, the, the bottom pane. Right. So he gets it started and, and Amanda's able to kick it out. She was able to crawl out of the house and get Jocelyn out as well. Uh, Ramsey helped her find a phone to call 911, and she did. <laughs> but he called 911 at the same time on a different phone. So his 911 call is real fucking funny because he literally is like, bruh, this bruh. girl. She said her name is Linda Barry or some shit. I don't know who that is. I just moved here. <laughs> Like, she said she's been kidnapped, so, like, put yourself in her shoes. She's freaking out. She needs the cops, the ambulance, the everything. Like, get him out here, bruh. He, like, keeps calling him bro. It's so funny. Um, But Amanda, um, when Amanda called, she was like, I've been missing for 10 years. I'm Amanda Berry. Like, I'm free now. I'm free. And so, um, you know, the police came and... Uh, from Michelle and Gina's perspective, they didn't believe it. Gina convinced Michelle that Amanda had been caught by Castro and they shouldn't leave for fear of getting in trouble as well. So Gina says they both hid, like in the rooms that they were in, they hid. Um, Gina says it took her a while to come out of the room that she had been held captive in because she didn't think it was really the police. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Is this... Is this in Ohio? Mm-hmm. Cleveland. Is this about that case with the, the Hulu show and, like, there's that lady that was really mad about it? Or there's a movie and it has that one girl in it? The Pensatucky. Yeah! Orange is the New Black. Yes, Taryn Manning I plays. I was wondering. Yes. This started sounded familiar and I was like... Mm-hmm. It's called um, Cleveland ab- or Abducted in Cleveland. Something like something that. Like Cleveland that. Abduction, I think it's what it's called. But it's got Taryn Manning who plays Michelle Knight. So, yeah. So, Gina didn't come out of her room. It took her a while. Um, she thought that they were people in costumes participating in one of Castro's fucked up tests. She said, quote, When I was telling the first responders my name, they looked like they'd seen a ghost or something. Like their face completely dropped. Michelle said that she heard people shouting in the hallway, police, police. So she stuck her head out and saw a badge. She said, quote, I ran up and jumped in their arms and said, never let me go. She said that the first thing she did when she stepped outside of that house was kiss the ground. All three women were taken to the hospital and checked out. Michelle was in the worst condition of the three of them. She told ABC News, quote, they couldn't find out why I was bleeding, why I was having stomach issues. But they did different tests and they told me, you only got two days to live. It's been too long and the antibiotics are not working on you. But Michelle fought anyways. I can't imagine being trapped in this so-called house of horrors for 10 fucking years, almost 11. And then upon escaping, being told that you only have two days to live. Yeah. That is traumatic. Like on top of everything else, that is like, so what? I just escaped and now I'm just going to die like mm. so amanda was able to tell the police where like what kind of car ariel castro was driving and so he was promptly arrested he told the police that 
he treated the girls well and that all of the times that he had raped them was consensual. He also admitted that he did in fact terminate Michelle's pregnancies, but that they had both agreed that it was the right thing to do. Hmm. Here we go. Castro was charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape. His arraignment was on May 9th, where his bail was set at $2 million per kidnapping charge. So $8 million. He had an $8 million bail. Boy wasn't going nowhere. Boy wasn't going nowhere. This I'm pulling from directly from Wikipedia because I couldn't have said it better. Quote, Additional charges were reported to be pending, including aggravated murder for intentional induction of miscarriages, attempted murder, assault, a charge for each instance of rape, each individual instance of rape, like every single time he raped these girls, and a kidnapping charge for each day, for each day, each captive was held. So all of them were held for over 3,000 days. Mm -hmm. So he was looking at like 10,000, maybe 11,000 charges, counts of, um, of kidnapping. Um, and then later on in the, in the article, he said, it says, quote, a shit, I meant to Google how to pronounce this. Cuyahoga. Sure. County grand jury returned the true bill of indictment against Castro on June 7th. It contained uh, 329 counts, including two counts of aggravated murder for his role in the termination of one of the women's pregnancies. So this first indictment only covered the period of time between August 2002, when he abducted Michelle, to February of 2007. So they would later come back with another indictment for the remainder of the time that he held the girls. So the prosecution said that they would be seeking the death penalty for Castro, and he was found competent to stand trial. Um, so he was, like, determined to not be a fucking psycho, which, like, like, clinically psychotic. You know what I mean? Like, he was mentally competent to stand trial. Because mm-hmm. they have to, they have to do that. Did you want, you finished Dahmer? Yeah. Okay. So they, they did that to him, too. And he, like, insisted that he wasn't psycho. Like, mm-hmm. that he was sane. You know what I mean? Insane. Not psycho. That's what I meant. Sorry. Okay, so after he was found competent to stand trial, a grand jury returned a true bill of indictment for the remainder of the time that he held the girls captive. This indictment brought the total charges to 512 counts of kidnapping, 446 counts of rape, 7 of gross sexual imposition, 6 of felonious assault, 3 of child endangerment, 2 of aggravated murder, and one of possession of criminal tools. This totals to 977 charges. On July 7th, 17th, this fucking prick pleaded not guilty to all of the fucking charges. All of them. Like, sir, we know you did these things. Fuck right off. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So on July 26th, 2013... Castro pleaded guilty to 937 of the 977 charges against him. This was part of a plea bargain that took the death penalty off the table for him. So they could no longer seek the the death penalty. But he was charged. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. There's always like a a trade-off for taking a plea bargain, which is usually like no death penalty. I fucking did it again. God damn it. Where was I? There it goes. Okay. 
So he pled. He pled. 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 He pled guilty to the charges of kidnapping, rape, and aggravated murder in exchange for receiving a sentence of life in prison, plus one thousand years to be served consecutively without parole. So instead of so you can be you can serve like consecutively or concurrently and concurrently is like you're serving both sentences at the same time so like his life in prison would be served at the same time as his thousand years but he's going to be serving life and then a thousand years cool yeah real fucking cool fuck this guy uh and he doesn't ever get a chance at parole so this also meant that this deal this parole or parole this plea bargain also meant that Castro gave up his right to appeal his conviction. So, like, basically the only thing this man's got out of this deal was was that he wouldn't be sentenced to lethal injection. That's it. That's all he got out of this deal because he still got fucked. But he deserves it. Fuck this guy. Um, but life in prison plus a thousand years, no parole or appeals? (laughs) That bitch ain't ever getting out. No, sir. Um, so Castro gave up all of his assets to the state, including his house, which prosecutors had demolished. Mm -hmm. Thank fucking God. At his sentencing hearing. Wasn't that recently too? Well, not like, not like recently, recently, but like within a couple. It was in 2013. Oh, they they did it the same year? mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah. All this, mm -mm, all this shit happened in the same year. They were rescued on May 6th and then he like was sentenced on fuck me i think in august yeah it was august of that same year so um at his sentencing hearing castro spoke for 20 fucking minutes to the people of the court imagine how amanda michelle and gina were feeling having to listen to this motherfucker speak for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then the things that he said during those 20 minutes were fucking bullshit he told them that he was actually a good person and, quote, not a monster, but he was addicted to porn and sex and, quote, had practiced the art of masturbation from a young age. He again claimed that most of the sex he had with Michelle, Amanda, and Gina was consensual. That was not sex, sir. That was rape. Every single instance, it was rape. Mm-hmm. So um, he also apologized, um, and then he promptly blamed the FBI for not catching him. Mm. 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 He also blamed his fucking victims for getting in the car with him. (laughs) I'm deceased. He said, quote, I hope they can find in their hearts to forgive me because we had a lot of harmony going on in that home. We did? Harmony? Harmony, sir, sir, you kidnapped them, you abducted them, you ripped them from their families, from their lives, from their homes, from everything they knew and loved, and you were garbage. You're garbage. Garbage. Thanks. That's all. So Michelle was able to address Castro in the courtroom. She said to him, quote, you took 11 years of my life away. I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. I will overcome all that has happened, but you will face hell for eternity. 
I will live on and you will die a little every day as you think of the 11 years of atrocities you inflicted that you inflicted on us. I can forgive you, but I will never forget. Look at this bad bitch. Mm-hmm. Like, you fucking tell him, Michelle. Fuck this guy. Fuck him. The amount of capitals that I have in my notes here, it's a lot. All right. We're basically done. Except for one very important detail. All right. <laughs> Castro was sentenced to life in prison plus 1,000 years. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, this motherfucker barely served a fucking month. How, you ask? Well, he killed himself. What? On September 3rd, 2013, Castro was found hanging from a fucking bedsheet in his cell. Prison guards performed CPR on him and was taken to a hospital, but... He was pronounced dead shortly after arriving at the hospital. This motherfucker took away any sense of justice these girls could have felt. They served 10, 11 fucking years and he served a couple of months. Fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. He is an actual piece of human garbage. I'd leave his body in there. Fuck this guy. Okay. Let's let's talk about the survivors. Right. Let's talk about Yes. The, the beautiful, wonderful, amazing women who survived this fucking human garbage can. What are they up to? Michelle Knight has since changed her name to Lily Rose Lee. Um, she said that every every one of those names um, came from a different part in her life. Um, she has also married a man named Miguel Rodriguez. She says that he, quote, is the love of my life, my other half. He showed me that life doesn't have to be horrible and you don't have to be alone. <laughs> she has begun the process of starting a nonprofit called Lily's Ray of Hope to support victims of child abuse, domestic violence, and human trafficking. She has also written two books. Um, they're called Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness, A Life Reclaimed, and Life After Darkness, Finding Healing and Happiness After the Cleveland Kidnappings. Um, she was... Never able to reunite with Joey, as he had been adopted by his foster family. Uh, he was 13 when Michelle was rescued, so she decided just to not inter- or disrupt his life. Um, the family, his foster family, does send her photos and keeps her updated on him, and he recently just turned 22. So he's like our age, honestly. So um, Amanda... She was awarded an honorary diploma from her high school upon her rescue because she obviously didn't get to graduate high school and she was like 27 when she got out. She has also written several books, um, one with Gina DeJesus called Hope, a memoir of survival in Cleveland. Um, She now works at an Ohio news station and covers missing children and adults in the Cleveland area. She's been doing this since 2017. So she like literally covers these missing people like in hopes of helping them helping these families find their missing children Mm. like it's just awesome it's just awesome she continues to raise jocelyn and she is a phenomenal mother to jocelyn she says quote jocelyn is more special than i could even use words to describe i always describe her as a as wise beyond her years um most of her personal life is you know pretty private for obvious reasons they when they were rescued her and amanda and gina both said that like you know, they want to keep their shit private because, like, everything's just been on blast for the last 11 years. Like, 
So Gina de Jesus was able to have her quinceanera when she was rescued. And uh, she wrote she wrote that book with Amanda, The Hope, um, A Memoir of Survival in Cleveland. In two, 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 two. In 2018, she founded the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults. Um, with this, she wants to, quote, work with the families to help them navigate the media to help to go to the police station. Because her family, her fa- like her family was, like, they struggled to get help while Gina was missing. Um, this foundation is located on the same street that Michelle, Amanda, and Gina were held captive for a decade. It is on the same street. That's just, like, a big fuck you to Castro. Like, I love that for her. Mm-hmm. It's a power move. Yes, big power move. So all three of these girls are doing so well for themselves, and I truly hope that they are thriving mentally and physically and all of the ways that you can thrive because they fucking deserve it. Mm-hmm. Like, they went through literal hell. Um, I did I did read that Amanda and Gina don't really keep in touch with Michelle anymore, uh, not because they don't like each other, I just think it's, like, something that they decided is best for their mental health. Like, they literally went through hell together for a whole last decade. And sometimes, you know, trauma bonding isn't always the most healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they don't like each other, that they don't get along. They do. I think they'll always have, you know, some amount of love for each other because of what they went through together. And they are the only ones who know. Like, they're the only ones who can understand what everyone went through. So, right. But... I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, Amanda, Gina, I hope you're doing so well. And I'm super happy that all of you guys are thriving and that you're, like, doing shit to make the world a better place. That's the story I of like the Cleveland that. kidnappings. Wow. I will. I promise I will do a lighter case. <laughs> because the last, like, all of the cases I've done have just been so fucking heavy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, um. I can say it because we're we're backtracking because this we're recording this episode first before we record yours. So let's go talk about Lizzie Borden now because I'm yeah. excited. So all right, listeners, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Mm, goodbye forever. Thank you for listening to Mysterious Ish. All episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Follow us on social media at Mysterious Ish Pod. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or stories to share, you can email us at mysteriousishpod at gmail.com or visit our website at mysteriousishpod.com. Make sure to come back next week for another discussion about the mysteries of the universe.